2: Hello and welcome to episode 17 of the Wisdom Cricket Weekly Podcast. It's been a really eventful week in cricket, so let's just get stuck in. I'm Yaz Rana and I'm joined by Wisdom.com's Ben Gardner. And for the first time in a long time, Wisdom Cricket Monthly's Australia correspondent and the voice of Wisdom.com Test Cricket, Adam Collins. Welcome back, Adam.
1: It's great to be with two of my favourite young men in the game, Yaz and Ben. Looking forward young to guns a, That's two young gunslingers. Not that again. Um, oh, let's well,
2: get, we'll have, have a frolic. Let's go into it. Um,
1: Adam, what's your moment of the week? I've got a couple. One, we're going to hold back to uh, the meaty part of the show, but a bit of history, actually. Today, the 13th of December, um, is 40 years since the crucial meeting between Don Bradman and Kerry Packer, which resolved the cricket war. So World Series cricket played out across the previous two summers and a meeting which until recently, no one knew about until Daniel Bredig, my colleague from Crick Info, uh, wrote a book about it. And that book's also released today to correspond with the, the 40 years of the day that um, Kerry Packer, who was obviously a, a media mogul tycoon a, and the man responsible for World Series Cricket, were funding it and and pulling it together. And, and of course, Don Bradman, uh, who was uh, representing the establishment and did so for several decades. And this is when they broke bread, and, and that meant that cricket was able to continue in, in the conventional sense in Australia.
2: Well, nice bit of history.
1: Yeah. Well, that that was the
0: um, I read something in bit about that. I guess a revelation from the book about Mike Hussey almost getting selected for the the final test here in two thousand and five. Yeah. Yeah. Like, what? It was what was was Packers influence? Was it purely just like about the the, the money he had, basically, and that and
1: that sort of clout? Was it just like a personality thing as well? I mean, what, well, it's, it was certainly both. The influence that he had initially was to do with money, and but he was a he, he was running the TV network, and in perpetuity, almost this deal ran between what was then known as the Australian Cricket Board and. Um, PBL which was Channel 9 at the time so um, what Dan does, Dan Bredig's book which is called Bradman Packer or Bradman and Packer I think it's called actually Um, it it sort of goes through uh, not only what happened in 1979, but it traces exactly what you're talking about, yeah. the influence of Kerry Packer uh, in the sport until he died in 2005. So uh, I, I can't wait to get my teeth into it. Yeah,
0: that's fascinating.
1: Yeah. Um, well, fantastic. But there was also a test match this week. The
2: England won. you know, it, yeah. ca- it came together all too <laughs> late for England, but, you know, it looked good. Root got hundreds, Anderson bowled beautifully in the second innings, Butler and Stokes in the runs, and Mark Wood was back with a bang at his fast and furious best. Clocked 95 miles per hour at one point. Um Ben, do you think that, you know, that kind of came as a bit of a surprise, really? I don't think anyone really expected him to bowl that quick. We haven't seen that for a few years from Wood. Um, but w- what a difference it makes having a bowler who can capable of bowling at that speed.
0: Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, I mean, it's it, it obviously does make a difference. and It's almost as much about the, um, the 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 wickets he gets as the wicket sort of creates for other people just by unsettling batsmen, knowing that they um, sort of... It just puts something in their minds, I think. I mean... Rathaway, what will hold out to to Cow Corner after seeing a bit of quick yeah. stuff off Monali and that that's just is not not the kind of thing he does. Uh, and so yeah, pace pace does make a, a huge difference. And even in England, I think where you can get away a bit more with being a sort of 82 miles an hour and nibbling it both ways, I think he'll be a he could be a sort of point of difference when it when it comes to the Ashes. Uh, it's, it is just about fitness, and if if he you, you can be properly fitting at his best, he's sort of a a strange one in that he talks is quite honest about his fitness concerns but also seems to often be playing when maybe he'd be better resting he's sort of like just seems like such a nice a nice guy basically well he admitted
2: that, that he bowled two overs too long in, yeah. in the first and he's only bowled eight overs but he bowled and that was not seven over spell and he or eight over spell and he came back for one ball um i thought that within the test match itself you saw exactly how, how why mark would needs to be managed in the first innings, he clocked uh, an average speed of 143 Ks an hour, uh, which is 88, 89 miles per hour. Yeah. That's the third fastest spell ever recorded by an England bowling, bowler since those records existed uh, about 15 years ago. Um, but in the second innings, he was down 5K. And I think that exactly shows he, he was a lot less threatening in that second innings. Um, small margins, but they, yeah. they do matter.
0: Yeah, I mean, I guess, I guess that could also be down to, you know, in that first innings, he really felt he had a point to proving and like sort of... Up against it in the, in in the sort of the, the the narrative of the series and stuff, whereas the second game the game was basically decided. Yeah. So that that could mean. I mean, it, it, if if he bowled within himself rather than it being enforced, that's probably quite sensible. If he can um kind of rein it in and then just crank it up when it's sort of a key moment, that's quite quite a useful way for him to to use his abilities. I reckon. I mean, um, in in the in the 2013 uh, 14 Ashes, Mitch Johnson was basically just using four and five overburst, wasn't it? I don't know. We don't have the stats to back up. four over three, three and four, yeah. yeah. And, and that was quite strict. Even if you got like a wicket in his last over, it wouldn't be, okay, let's give you one more. Let's see if you can sort of break through. It would be like, no, that's it, you're done. We need you for later on, which I think is probably the the, the way to use him. Um, so yeah, but but very, very
1: exciting and, and couldn't happen to a nicer bloke, so that's good. Yeah, yeah that, that's what I, I mean, you know, reluctant to talk about uh, character of guys as to why they should be picked for a national sides or not, but just watching him, I just love everything about him. It reminds me, this is West Wing episode towards the back of the show. Oh, I love the West Wing. Where where Josh Lyman's talking about a prospective um, Supreme Court Justice they're going to put on the bench. He goes, I love her. I love her mind. I love her shoes. I feel the same way about Mark Wood. I love the way he talks. I love the way he carried that novelty check under his arm across the ground. I love the way he spoke about how he got a free holiday to the Caribbean. I love the way that he bowls at 95 clicks and moves the ball away from the right hander. I love the way that he did that um, shoulder bump with Joe Root on a couple of occasions when Root took catches in the cordon. Everything about Mark Wood. I remember when. He played in his first and only Asher series in 2015 15. when he was hiding in the kit so he could surprise people when he was on the <laughs> But everything about Mark Wood is is what I want in the England side. And he said himself that when he's played, uh, the last couple of times he's been recalled, that he, he wasn't quite, he was underdone. Uh, and uh, Vish, Petitioner uh, Hantaraja made a good point uh, in his analysis on CrickBuzz about this. It's that when Wood's been played, he's because um, he, he hasn't been quite fit enough for it uh, the, the, the magic wasn't there the, the trickery wasn't there everyone knew what he was going to try and do which is knock your block off and and it was a, a, a diminishing returns after a short period of time whereas this time uh, he had that lines to her, he felt comfortable yeah. in his body hitting the track as he said on radio after the fact as well where he knew that when he approached the crease he wasn't going to break down which is a massive part I think of being able to bowl at those speeds and uh, there must be a role for him in this Asher series and I'm sure we'll discuss the Australian team later in the podcast, Mm -hmm. but um, the main critique I have of them at the moment is it's going to be essential they find a way to take 20 wickets as quickly as possible to take advantage uh, of England's fragile batting lineup. and the reverse is true. And I can't imagine a scenario where Mark Wood isn't going to be integral to uh, taking 20 Australian wickets as quickly as possible. And with England's attack where they have Broad, Anderson, Stokes, and all rounder and Marina's and all
2: rounder England can afford to have Wood as a specialist bowler who doesn't actually bowl that much, but
1: when he does bowl, he bowl him so he's as effective as possible. Mm. Um, Especially with Moeen holding his own as a spinner. like There'll be no need for a, a Dawson slash Rashid as we've had in the last two summers. Right yeah. now, Moeen will be uh, more than adequate as, as the one and only England spinner, and he can obviously float as to where he bats in the lineup. He's bowled brilliantly um, since he returned to the team
2: in the summer. Um, I must admit, when I saw the team, so England uh, over the years, when they've been on the receiving end of a drubbing away from home, the selection towards the end of the tour becomes borderline farcical. Like you know, uh, Mason Crane being selected in Sydney, twenty third, yeah, yeah, Scott Borthwick, um, and I thought the the recall of Keaton Jennings uh, and Mark Wood, who we haven't seen much of recently, was a kind of return to that. But actually, I think there was logic in England effectively dropping Ben Folkes for Keaton Jennings, in that England's undroppable. Uh, middle order of Root, Butler, Stokes, Moeen and Bairstow are all batting in the positions that suit them best, four to eight. Um, no one's no one who shouldn't be batting three is batting three. Um, and you've got a proper top three who, although they didn't score many runs, they ate up a lot of deliveries. Uh, across the test match, the top three, uh, they, they faced over 400, 450 deliveries. And although only Denley got 70, um, I think it made life easier for Root Uh, Butler and Stokes to get the runs that they did get Um, and I think maybe that is the that is the formula that England are going to take going into the Ashes
0: yeah I guess I mean if if there is a logic I think it's sort of a almost accidental I think I I think I think there there was an element of of running around with their with with their eyes closed and just want to see what see what happened but I I do I do agree that like the like having a top order that can just eat up some time is so valuable and I think that there's like there, there's been a maybe a bit too much made of England's attacking approach being their downfall because I mean, it's like you're not going to win many Test series whether you're attacking or defending if you don't have uh, an opener and your best batsman is out of form for the beginning of it mm-hmm. and also you've got Stokes and Moen have both been out of form but so I think I think it's it's, it's more just, it's more just been a, a form thing but um, it is always going to be easier if you have like like yeah if if you can come in just after twenty overs rather than after ten
2: or like even more ben Ben stokes is best surely coming in when England are four down two hundred four or even if they're hundred four after forty overs rather yeah. than uh, early on against a swinging new ball um, I mean, but, like but I especially against the second new ball, yeah. seems quite yeah. quite vulnerable so it's um he it did get a seriously good nut from him that, that's true mm. yeah um mm. i kind of kind of think that if adam Gilchrist was english right now he'd average thirty three if he was coming in as early as Ben Stokes does, I think Ben Stokes is an amazing player, but he's not coming in, in situations that
1: suit the way he plays. Yeah, that, that might be the case. Always reluctant to make comparisons with Dual <laughs> because he is the outlier yeah, in so many ways. Obviously. Uh, I felt Keaton Jennings uh, doing all the hard yakker in the second innings, knowing that he was almost playing for his career as he's done so many times and getting out to a ball that pitched a foot and a half outside the league stump oh, and, and rolling on it. I mean, if he, if he didn't exist, you couldn't make him up, um, Keaton, in, in some respects. And he's, I think we said on this podcast last time I was on, he's such a lovely bloke and yeah. you want him to succeed. And it, on some days, it, it looks like he, he might be a world beater, but um, it, it does make the county championship season or the start of it. Crucial, and uh, Trevor Baylor said as much post-game. He, uh, you rarely hear Trevor Baylors talk about the county championship because, you know, he self-proclaimed uh, non-watcher of it. <laughs> Although I think that has changed, to be fair. I think that's become a bit of a meme. But anyway, uh, he made the point that the top three, and it's self-evident really, that they haven't locked down their, their spots in the order. So in turn, it'll be a bit of a shootout at the start of the season with <laughs> Burns and Jennings, the incumbents, uh, and of course Denley at three. But I, I wouldn't, you know, if, if you're a, if you're a young opener in England and you can do well in the toughest part of the season, uh, in sort of late April, early May, um, you could very well find yourself playing at Lords against Ireland, and then if you do well there, you you're, you're playing at Edgbaston, so uh, the incentive is there. Man, your time is now. <laughs> yeah. yeah, and not only and not often does that happen. I guess yeah. I emphasise that point because going into a summer, a lot of the time. Uh, there isn't that kind of a lead-in before the first test. Oftentimes in England, there's test matches early in the summer. This year being a World Cup, that won't be the case. So often the you know, the side that's played in the winter tour will more or less, maybe with one exception, make their way into, into the new summer. Uh, but also just it's rare there's three spots where players could come from the outside. Usually there's kind of one. So that's where I, I think there'll be an increased uh, amount of attention on, on, the, on the start of the championship and, and more power to it. It should be fun. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I've,
0: I've just got two things, I guess. One is that Jennings, obviously, he, he did do well and he he always battles hard and it's, it's, it's admirable that he rarely seems to be sort of throwing his wicket away. But I think that his recall kind of shows that England did get their overall squad selection a little bit wrong and that you should probably be picking three specialist openers for any overseas tour i know joe denley was in that as the reserve opener but i think they kind of realized after the second test that he just wasn't really an opener and then you're forced to go back to the jennings really so that, that, that's the first thing is that there was that the balance in the squad was slightly wrong not just in some of their team selections but i think i think in the uh in terms of the batting order of those uh, players in the middle order, I I, I think Besto's too low at seven. I think that um, swap him and Butler may, maybe or even I think I mean I think the time is probably right for Root to move to number three again. Well, that, that old debate. Well, yeah, I mean the thing is, is he's basically been coming in at three anyway, hasn't he? Like equivalent am not
2: doing that well, but that's probably yeah. not because of that. Uh,
0: yeah, I, I I I I I think that he's. He's. I mean, I know your best batsman bats at three is a bit of a cliche. It's but a very I...
1: Australian cliche. And look, I'll pick you up on that. Like, How is it the case that Root hasn't batted three? I mean, I, I appreciate the, the conditions are different here to what they are in Australia. But a player of his class, you're dead right, Ben. England have been three for 50 or 50 for three or not, not enough for three
2: Almost as long as much. I've
1: been covering the side the last four years. It's... Uh, it, why not give Root the opportunity? It builds you a little bit of flexibility. Yeah. I just don't see any major downside. His,
0: his record isn't that good there, and he doesn't want
1: to do it. Which which are which are both decent arguments against it. But that's I, the Johnny Bestow argument, isn't it? The reason yeah. why Bestow he's almost battered so poorly that he's got himself the gloves back.
0: Yeah, well,
1: I mean you shouldn't be making decisions based on what a what what a player doesn't fancy. It should be about what's in the best interest of the team. I think That's uh, a
0: little harsh on He's Got a hundred and fifty in his uh, three tests. I
2: think it, your average is, I'm times. not saying much, but I think Bestow averages more than anyone else at number three in the last year. So oh look. And, that's right. and, 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 and that
1: <laughs> might be very well where he, he should be playing in the event that Root does continue mm. at four. But, I mean, in, in more recent times, he continued to litigate the case for why he should be wicket-keeping and you can't wicket-keep and bat number three. So yeah. that gives a fair sense of what Bairstow wants to do, which is not bat a three. Yeah. yeah.
2: I mean, I, I, I agree Root should bat three, but he's been so stubborn about it for such a long period of time. I can't really see any situation in which he actually does end up batting three. Yeah, it's um, just,
0: just with, with all those other players, they, like there's just, just no other candidates. And if you want to play all the, the match winners that England have mm-hmm. that's that's really the only way to do it is, is for Root to bat at three because yeah. no others can do it I think
2: yeah just uh, quit well and Joe Denley I don't think anyone he batted really well uh, he probably batted more fluently than Root did even though Root got 100 Denley only got 69 Um but unfortunately I don't think anyone's going to remember that 69 in six months the Ashes is so far away there's almost an entire county championship season for it i don't think a 69 in a dead rubber against west indies unfortunately is going to be remembered by that many people no, it's included. a tiny
0: bit of credit in the bag, but it's, yeah. it's essentially a shootout for probably the top three positions i guess i guess the thing that will be interesting is how they balance that and also world cup form versus county form because there are a lot of county games but jason roy for example isn't going to play mm. many but will surely be in the mix if he has a decent yeah. World Cup. Um,
2: so, yeah. well before we move on um James Anderson might have played his last ever overseas Test for England. Do, do, do you think that was his last overseas Test? Do you reckon he'll call it a day in the Ashes? I've no
0: idea. Probably not. He seems to just keep like bowling and it's, uh. He's
2: gonna be. He's gonna be thirty-seven yeah, next
1: But how old are you, call like, You're still writing about cricket. You <laughs> 12, you, so. I'm not as old as you think. Uh, <laughs> well, look, he 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 shouldn't retire on the yeah. basis that he's uh. He's so good. He's so good. He's <laughs> so good at cricket. Why would you stop playing if you're as good as Jimmy? And it seems as though those fitness issues that plagued him on those pair of subcontinental tours two winters ago, so Bangladesh and India, uh, where he, from memory, didn't play in Bangladesh and played maybe two or three of the yeah. India, India matches, that doesn't seem to be an issue anymore. I know he has an, an enduring shoulder management um, process that he goes through, but he hasn't missed the test in Yonks. Um, well, except for the one that he elected to miss mm. in the West Indies at the end of that tour. Not the West Indies, Shilanka, Sri Lanka, yeah, sorry, Sri Lanka. Yeah. Um, so... I hope he continues, but the the draw of going out on top here at the Oval as his mate um, Cookie did 12 months earlier might might be too strong. Yeah. There's something to be said about leaving them, you know, waiting for more or whatever the cliche is.
2: Um, if, if that was indeed his last uh, overseas test match, just going to mention his, his record since 2010 away from home, taking 155 wickets at 28 away from home. He is a great bowler in all conditions, end of. And can you run me through that again? What, what were those uh, aggregated numbers? 155 wickets at 28 away from home since, since 2010. So start of the 2010-11 Ashes. Right. A fair chunk of
1: time. Yeah. yeah, and, and you can break down Anderson's numbers and, and make them say what you want about the way he's played in different parts of the world, which some sort of internet trolls uh, like to do mm. when they get stuck into Anderson. But um, that is a considerable body of evidence uh, mm. and and you can't sort of dispute that that he's been the attack leader for so long, longevity as well. The, you know, he he was running around in the in the World Cup of 2003 mm. Um 04. That's a mighty long time to be bowling fast, and and he still is bowling at a decent clip as well. It's not as though he's become sort of a Richard Hadley style bowler at the end of his career and wound it back ten or fifteen kilometres an hour. He's mm. still bowling at roughly not exactly the same speed, but in the same ballpark still in the eighties, yeah, as what he was ten years ago. Absolutely, he played a key part in some. Like something that's best ever overseas triumphs
0: as well 10, 11, Ashes Yep. India
2: 12, India uh, South Africa uh, yeah. the UAE tours where England win he averaged like fifteen yeah. across the two yep. two, yep. two yep. UAE tours phenomenal bowler um we've got to talk about Joe Root's comments to Shannon, Shannon Gabriel uh, the mm. stunt might caught the England captain saying don't use it as an insult there's nothing wrong with being gay it was reported at the close to play that the match officials the umpire umpires and referee were not going to investigate it or or, or charge Gabriel but the ICC. Have charged him at the end of the test match. Um, they're not commenting on anything at the moment. Uh, I don't think there's much to say here, other than that. Although we don't know what Gabriel actually said, homophobic slurs obviously have no place in the game. And Joe Root absolutely did the right thing in calling him out. But he handled it brilliantly. Yeah, it's it's a, it's
0: a it's a hard thing to do as well. Like, um, I mean, obviously in the in the cold in the cold light of day, we can all sort of say and think the right thing. But but when it's in the heat of the moment and someone sort of bowling not in my zone around your ears and they're like like saying things to you it would be, be quite easy to to either to, to not respond or to or, or almost respond in kind not 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 that joe would to would, would use that word but to say like at least i'm not shit at bowling or something which would go to legitimize log- <laughs> the insult or something uh and to, to just kind of st- take that step back and just like make a
1: stand right there is a I think we, we can be very proud of, of our captain, Yaz. He's an impressive guy, Joe Root. I interviewed him a couple of years ago at his primary school with a few other members of the British pack. And um, there were, I have this recollection, of around his school there were there were a bunch of posters on the wall that the students had made about the Syrian refugee crisis. And I asked him about that and he and he talked about wanting to be an empathetic leader and he um about wanting to be more than just a cricket captain and, and, and fair play to him. That's precisely what he did um, when he made his comments in the middle of the field. And they're always going to be divisive too. Like, you know, toxic masculinity is a term that's thrown around a lot, but in some corners of our game, it, it, it's, still, it's still a factor. Mm. And the criticism online he received reflects that. There there, are there some quarters of the community which think that what happens on the field should stay on the field. And if you haven't played top flight cricket, how could you possibly know? And it doesn't mean anything and, and so on. And there was some criticism of of the stump mics being turned up by Sanjay oh, and yes. Yeah, but again, that, that reflects a, a certain old school way of seeing the game. Mm. Now, I'm not saying I agree with it, but... I mean, Sanjay Mandraka doesn't believe in in Biz, for example. He doesn't believe that the data that's collated has any worth or use. So he sees the world in in one way, and Joe Root's reflective of seeing the world in a slightly different way. Mm. Uh, and, you know, that's a generational thing. Um, but, um, yeah, I think um, a lot of people around the cricketing world stood up and applauded the fact that he did have the presence of mind to make that retort when he did. Uh, in full knowledge, I'm sure that it would have been picked up by the mics.
2: And also... Uh, worth mentioning that cricket does actually have quite an uncomfortable relationship with homophobia to an extent. So, Lucia, it shouldn't be forgotten that Root uh, made those comments in a country where male homosexuality is still illegal. Uh, four out of the 12 test-playing nations, if to say there, homosexuality is illegal. So, I actually think w- what Root said is really important not just within the English game, but
1: worldwide cricket. Yeah, I was really surprised to hear that about St. Lucia. I spent time there during the Women's World T20 last November and found it an incredibly inclusive and welcoming country and, and a brilliant uh, place to, to hold an international event. And I think the Test match here was great as well. So, um, But that is a, yeah, it is a mm-hmm. reminder that uh, not all parts of the world uh, um, have, have, uh, have been on the same sort of journey that, that we're talking about here from the UK.
2: Um, it's been a big week in women's cricket as well yes uh, from an England point of view Catherine Brunt and Sarah Taylor are back in the England squad obviously great news of the massive summer ahead um, they missed the World T20 in the Caribbean yep. Um but Collar, they're, they're England are managing their workloads they're only yep. going to India but they're not going to Sri Lanka
1: and in the case of Sarah she's only playing the one day international yeah. so it, her um, position was that she doesn't want to do much internal flying That that's something that um, triggers her ongoing anxiety issues so um, they've, they've managed it carefully. The longer term plan with Sarah is to make make sure that she can travel to Australia for the World T20 or the T20 World Cup, as the ICC have now rebranded it um, for, which is in February 2020. Years, right, so, it's year time. so they're they're doing their best to to lead up to that by giving her a small bite sized piece away. Um, my own impression of the way that Sarah was last week, she was incredibly happy and you know comfortable talking about all this, and um, that's. Um, that's got to be that's got to be a positive, doesn't it? Yeah, it needs to be, I did with her she was you know is as good as good can be. So that, that I'm, I can't wait to watch her play.
2: I, I often feel when people are talking about mental health and sport, there are often some admirable but quite vague platitudes. Whereas I thought Sarah Taylor, uh, I was I was at the yep. press the press day, and she was speaking in specific terms. that must be a, a really good thing for progressing the conversation. It just
0: demystifies it, doesn't it? Like yeah. people, people like that. I think people have a tendency to group all these things together because they're talked about as if they're the same sometimes Mm. because and 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 it just shows that like they it's an individual thing but also how like it it does mean that for other people talking about it maybe they can talk about it their own individual things of what Mm. is maybe better rather than not having almost the language to express it yeah i think i think she's 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 great and she talks about it in a Really amazing way, um, and then Catherine Brunt, I guess. Uh, yeah, it's 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 all obviously it's great for her to recover from injury, but it looked like she might retire after the World T Twenty. If she played that, like she um almost said as much to Phil Walker, the editor in chief of WCM, uh, when he interviewed her at she said it'd be a, a a lovely way to bow out. But she wasn't going to confirm anything, and then was ruled out two days before the tournament started. And it seemed like a sad end to the career of one of England's greatest cricketers. And it's it's really great that she's that she's managed to. So that she's going to carry on and, uh, I mean, maybe it was the end of the summer in the
1: Ashes and that would also be a, a really lovely way to bow out. It's really front of mind retirement for Catherine. I asked her a similar question before the women's Ashes, I reckon it was, the last summer and I said, well, if you win in Australia, would that be enough to put the queue in the rack after a World Cup? And she pretty much said as much then too. So I think the next high watermark yeah. uh, <laughs> might be the point where she chooses to dismount. And uh, she's but that. in saying that, she's absolutely that right but in saying that, she's not the same cricketer that she was even 18 months ago. She's become England's All rounder, Mm -hmm. Uh, her batting is almost as important as her bowling with the ball. Especially in Twenty Twenty
0: cricket, exactly.
1: So, and with the T Twenty World Cup coming up in Australia, I, I, you know, and Mark Robinson at the press day, uh, the England coach made this point too. There will be no replacing Catherine when she goes. So, much like it is with Sarah, trying to get her ready to play in that tournament, I'm sure for Brunt it'll be exactly the same. Whatever they need to do to manage her workloads. Through the women's ashes, lots of games in a, in a short space of time. For instance, I, I'd be shocked if she plays a Test match. Um, they, they'll be, I think, for the most part, trying to keep her fresh for T20 cricket. I guess
0: the, the tough thing with, with resting players in, in women's cricket is that so many of the games have that much more import. I mean, with the with the women's championship in particular, like you kind of... You can't really take anything for granted, especially it's just so much more competitive now. Like, uh, yeah, Pakistan beating West Indies. My um, moment of the
1: week. That's my actual moment. Oh, of there life. you go. Yeah. A, well, do you want to talk about that? Oh, only, only that um, Pakistan beating the West Indies. I mean, what a, what a great story. First time they beat them in One Day Internationals. People on the front cover of Pakistan national newspapers. That. I mean, they got up like, to
0: seventy in the first game. Yeah. And came back. Came to back the series, they defended hundred
1: and sixty odd in the third One Day amazing. International to get over the line. They got played in the UAE after playing some T20s in Karachi to, to start that that series of uh, white ball cricket, but. We talk about it all the time, but the, the the arc of Pakistan women's cricket is one of the best in world sport. It's easily forgotten that they only started playing in 1998. Um, there was death threats in the newspaper editorials in Pakistan in 98 about um, about them, you know, coming to Australia to play in that tournament. Um, they have been well back in the pack, but in the last few years, uh, they nearly made the final four of the World T20 back in 2016. They had a bit of a lull. 2017 World Cup, they didn't perform, nor did they at the World T20 last year. But the infrastructure is kind of there now. They've got a, um, a a domestic system where I think from memory 15 players are paid now, which is a lot more than some countries in women's cricket, more than New Zealand from memory. So, uh, and, and there's domestic cricket on television there as well for the women. So it's all trending up. So hopefully um, you know, building blocks like beating the West Indies away from home and, and, and so on will... Get to a stage where the Pakistan women are equally formidable as the men, and uh, and we can uh, sort of uh, and and we can talk even more about what a great story this is. Because a player like Sanamir, who's been there through this whole transition, all the internal runctions, they sacked the board about ten years ago. Like, there's been so much going on, even in the last ten years. I mean, it's, uh, it, this is it's, it's an important landmark this week. And
2: West Indies are a very strong side, of course. Sure. Um,
1: even, even even like a team like Sri Lanka, England play after
0: they play India. Uh, no, they're not going to be easy to beat. I mean, they had a this this, this this, was my, my moment of the week, actually, was um, uh, in the first ODI they played against South Africa, which was a really close game. They lost it by seven runs, is that yep, right? Yeah, seven runs. Uh, and uh, Danae, but at the moment is was Dene Van Nika getting her first ODI century, her first international century, which is one of those stats that you kind of look at it and you think that just can't be right because she just feels so mm. vital, like kind of far and away, South Africa's best player. She um, got two
2: for 26 as well. Yeah, the I'm, I'm,
0: I mean, she, she, she just constantly patty. delivers and is just such a, an inspirational... Leader of that side as well. I mean, just wears a heart on it. It's, it's amazing to have a player who sort of seems like wears their heart on their sleeve and seems to live every ball so much, and yet manages to be so consistent and deliver. I think I think I think she she is is brilliant and is probably maybe the team, the player who's most important to her side. Hopes like mm. around the world, I think.
1: Yeah, it's uh, a
0: Yeah, is like
1: just. Great for her to finally have, have that mark and it probably be the first of many, I reckon. Yeah, you touched on her brand of leadership. She's emotional. She's aggressive. Mm. Um, she she berates her own team when they deserve it. Yeah. She, she tells you what she thinks when she's angry and equally when she's happy. They've got a poor record um, at that big tournaments, notwithstanding the World Cup of 2017. They bombed out of the, of the World T20 last year. Um, so they, they've got uh, enough match winners to be a serious threat next year. Or, yeah, it'll be next year when I keep getting confused when it's World T20. 12 months from now, yeah. Um and if they do, I think the great thing about Van Niekerk is that I can't work out whether she's a bowler who bats or a batsman who bowls. So mm. She's a true all-rounder in every sense of the word. Her bowling, um, she's topped the pops in uh, the World Cup with the ball last year, or in twenty seventeen. Uh, now making these piling on mass runs, she was excellent against England last year in a losing effort. So and she can kind of do um, it all with the bat as well. She can, yeah.
0: she, she, she can score quick and she can uh, she, she can grind as well. She's a yeah, she, she's multidimensional in the extreme. I think she's a she's brilliant.
2: Um, Ben, your your second, you almost had another moment of the week, and that was umpiring howlers this week. There have been two oh, very yeah. noticeable umpiring howlers. Do you want to explain those quickly?
0: Yes. So let me see if I get this right. So Daryl Mitchell, not which no, Darryl not Daryl Mitchell. Mitchell uh, <laughs> although he did, uh, he he is the son of England rugby defence coach yep. and former All Black, Mister Mitchell, also <laughs> called Daryl Mitchell. <laughs> uh, he he he's made his t twenty debut for a. Uh, for New Zealand and um did well by the way they they beat India 2-1. Yeah, yeah, no 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 easy team to beat India. Uh but he was given out LBW, I think. And they have re- they have reviews in T20s now so he reviewed it feeling like he'd hit it and there was a no noise on the ultra edge but there was a mark on the snick or oh, oh, sorry hot spot. on the hotspot which the um third umpire thought at the time was the bat having hit the pad and has since come out afterwards and said uh oh, I made a mistake. And kind of everyone in the field knew they made a mistake. And there was even a question of whether Robert Sharma, Sharma, uh, standing for Cody, would withdraw the appeal. So that was a, a bit of a howl, And then maybe even worse, because I mean, you know, that's that's the kind of thing that sort of happens. But South Africa against Sri Lanka. Sri Lanka will need all the help they can get in that series. though they started it pretty well. Really uh, well, yeah. Um, but they um, uh, sort of pinned Hashim Amla, LBW, or well on the pad and appealed when the score was not for one yes yes it would have been not for two mm. if it was given out and it, i think i think it was one of those again it f- probably fair enough to give it not out because it was there was two sounds which uh was pad and pad in the end uh but they reviewed after what the umpire thought was more than 15 seconds which is the allowed rule uh and actually was they said on the broadcast was within 13 seconds so they should have been able to go ahead they would have had another wicket when mean, they got him out not long after but it's just uh I don't really know if there's a lesson to this or if it's just interesting that two have happened in a quick session. I guess what's interesting about New Zealand one is that you don't really have hotspot around the world much anymore.
2: is like, inconsistent from country yeah, to
0: country. Yeah, I, th- I think that, I mean, it's and it's all just down to the, the host broadcast. It would be really nice to have some consistency, but that's probably unrealistic considering
2: that's, where the money is. But that's cricket, isn't it? Yeah, I, I guess so. The board. Yeah. Um, let, let's also talk banners. Um, there may be a couple of um, <laughs> notable banners, not for, not for great reasons, to be honest. Um, so the first one was in that New Zealand India ODI series where so uh, New Zealand's got a player called Scott Cougaline who's playing his first international appearance in New Zealand. Um, Kugeline, um was found not guilty of rape two years ago, and um, but but in the court case he admitted that the the, the victim, uh, the alleged victim, said no twice, and there were banners, multiple banners at the game, um, with hashtag Me Too on it. Um, equally, there was, there, was an, there was another banner in australia in the big bash that you want to talk about oh yeah yeah well i
1: I guess i've written about it um so i may as well talk about it yeah there was a there was a white supremacist banner hung uh, at a big bash game a couple of weeks ago um with the it's okay to be white slogan which is a a calling card of the kkk and and other extremist groups didn't start there to clarify before someone smashes me on twitter i know that it started on 4chan uh, but it did get picked up by um, various extremists and and it has become a a true calling card of um, some pretty dreadful, disgusting stuff, and um, they were they were given a final, first and final warning by the administrators and the stadium for that, rather pretty than weak, yeah. ban. There was provision to ban them for three years from venues, uh, but um, Perth Stadium and Cricket Australia elected to wait for the, uh, the Perth WA police to lay charges before doing anything. To the best of my knowledge, certainly when I wrote that column a week and a half ago, no charges had been laid. So, um, but. Again, it didn't matter anyway. CA slash the stadium could have banned them uh, without requiring uh, police intervention. There's nothing preventing it. Um, I spoke to a couple of people in CAU who, who said they didn't want to get involved in sort of a political uh, debate, as it were. But this isn't it's, a political debate. This yeah, is it's quite this crystal is, clear, isn't it? Well, well it is. It, it's open and shut. And I, I wonder to what extent people actually knew. What it was and what it actually really Mm. meant—the coded, the coded message uh, in between it Uh, all—and this is these are guys with form as well. They've they've hung up some pretty awful or an awful banner at the football a couple of years ago as well in, in the same state in WA. So and there was some chance
0: during the India test as well, weren't there? Yeah, so where's your your passport sort of thing? Yeah, yeah, this this stuff used to happen.
1: This stuff used to happen um, about 15 years ago, and this is documented by the Swami Army, who who are kind of like the Brat Army, the Australian um, uh, Indian supporters group, and. Uh, and yeah, there was some um, mobile phone footage of some pretty unfortunate, disgusting stuff really at, at the MCG during the during the uh, Boxing Day Test match, which was reported on Cricket Info at the time. Uh, so yeah, we've always got to be vigilant uh, to these things and and uh, take the zero tolerance approach and, and all the rest, and make sure that uh, these people are, uh, are kept a long way from our game.
0: Yeah, I feel like there's a few of these things at the moment. Mm. I think
1: this around this
0: time last year, maybe maybe March last year, was the. Uh, that's what the ball term everything confusing with that. And Dave Richardson said cricket needs to take a hard look at itself. And I think it's probably sort of a, a similar situation now, but with a almost more, I mean, definitely more important causes, sort of things that cricket is going to have to wake up and figure out a way to deal with them, I think. yeah.
2: Absolutely. Um, Adam, uh, before we finish, you, you've been in Australia for, for a while. Uh-huh. Um, watching the Australia Test summer. Um, how do you think they're shaping up for the Ashes? That's, that's what people want to know.
1: Had you asked me two weeks ago, I would have said they're... Uh, riding straight in towards a 5-0 whitewash, you know. <laughs> I, I might have said it a bit tongue-in-cheek, but I would have said that it's the most likely um, uh, scenario. A, a, a so out to of, be clear, a, a losing 5-0. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> <you> know, <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm being a bit provocative here because saying 5-0 in an Ashes series is, is de rigueur, isn't it? Um, but uh, look, the Sri Lanka series happening at exactly the same time as England lost two test matches convincingly to the West Indies and um, provided a bit of pause on on those sort of more dramatic Predictions. There's a long time to go. I don't want to sit on the fence. All I would say is that you add Smith and Warner to the side. That's uh, that's considerable. If Australia get their fast bowling lineup right, they didn't quite get that balance right in 2015. They brought Siddle in belatedly, and they acknowledged after they they didn't quite nail the balance of the attack. So that'll be that'll be part of it. If players like Travis Head, who've now kind of broken through, can perform over here, which is which is a big if, um, he was sorted out by the Indian quicks in Melbourne and Sydney, some really ordinary strokes. He could have easily been left out of that Sri Lanka series, but instead he became the vice-captain um, when... And that was just purely because uh, of, of Mitchell Marsh being, being left out of the team. But the point is, is that um, players like Head and Joe Burns, who made 100... Uh, in Sri Lanka, he's shown against Sri Lanka. Rather, he's shown the the capacity to bat for a really long time in Test cricket. If they can have adequate series and you add Smith and Warner, well, maybe they'll be competitive and they can take their twenty wickets quickly enough. But the more likely scenario is is that England have got uh, too many too many uh, weapons with the ball, and that'll make life difficult uh, for Australia. They've only won three live test matches since 2001 I reckon it is in this country so that illustrates how hard it is and assuming there'll be no draws I don't think there will be they'll need to win three in the space of Six weeks. Mm. So that, that, that's a fairly hefty is, task.
0: Is, is there a, who, who are those specialist picks that they could be? Is, is, is Sid in contention? Is Chad, yep. Chad, Chad Sayers? So so so
1: w- yeah, Sayers so probably won't be. Uh, he's been injured. Right. Daniel Worrell from South Australia is someone I'm sure they'll be looking at strongly, like a Trent Copeland as well, who is yeah. um, fit for purpose when it comes to playing in England. Fraction slower, but in both cases they move the ball around. Um, Jai Richardson, though, is he looked really good, didn't he? Yeah, he did. If anything, the fact that Richardson does move the ball around, Buddy bowls at 142 clicks means that... Um, that, that might, um, he's a more traditional swing bowler. Indeed, he models himself on Dale Steyn and, and he looks like a, a junior Dale Steyn. He also um, looks
2: like um, Otis Redding from Netflix's Sex Education. Otis Redding? O- Otis Redding? Otis... Asa Butterfield.
1: Asa Butterfield.
2: The, Otis character's Redding. Called, <laughs> yeah, the, the character's called Otis Milburn. That's it. Otis right, Milburn, okay. anyway. he's, the sex
1: edu- he's the same guy that was on that show um, <laughs> End of the <laughs> World, wasn't he, last year? Oh, maybe. Not, yeah. he, he, yeah. does, he
0: doesn't look much like Otis Redding,
1: though. No. <laughs> um, yeah, so Richardson might mean that they, but they have, st- I wrote a piece last week arguing they should play four quicks. Yeah. Play four quicks, Nathan Lyon, James Pattinson. Quick logic, I've got to go, but quick logic is is that Pattinson, Cummins, and Payne are all number sevens. If you bat them at six, seven, and eight, doesn't that just average number seven? (laughs) (laughs) And that (laughs) that is very England logic, but it will help them get the 20 wickets quicker. And I think that's going to be the whole ball game will be who can get their wickets uh, in, a, in, a, in, a, in a faster fashion. And um, with James Pattinson in the side, we saw the way that he bowled in England a couple of years ago, a guy that bowls near enough to 100 mile an hour, moving it away from the right-hander, and he can bat, uh, I reckon, if he's fit and he gets through the second half of the Shield season, he's he's, he's my he's my Smokey. He had a lot of fun for Knox when he's
2: played in England. Um, Collo, thanks so much for coming on the show. Pleasure. Uh, ben, thanks a lot. Thank you. If you enjoy the show, folks, subscribe, tell your friends. See you next week. Bye.